Adam. You'll have to make some adjustments there from last week. Well, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love that never runs out. Oh, Holy Spirit, right now we just open up our hearts to receive from you. We thank you that you lead us and guide us into all truth. You show us things to come. You bring things to our remembrance. You show us how to glorify the Father and you lead us into your paths of peace. Right now, I thank you that you take hold with us in Jesus' name. That as we open up your word, you illuminate it. You were the inspiration behind the word, Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you're not distant. You're right here with us. And so we open up our hearts to learn from you this morning. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tove. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? You've uh, endured that sharp twist into winter? <laughs> Wasn't, isn't that wild? Usually we're like a month early this year. This is just like, whew. But you know what? We'll be content with whatever we have right now because we'll make the best and God always comes through in everything. Well, as I was preparing for this message, I, you know, there's just certain books in the Bible that resonate with you in different ways. And for me, one of my favorite books is the book of Ephesians. You know, it, it's one of Paul's, I, I think, like greatest messages that he wrote, and he wrote it specifically to the church. And it starts off in chapter one. It says, this is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now, you'll notice that I put in Ephesus in, in italics because there's a star beside it in my Bible which says that most of the oldest manuscripts don't include that part. Yes, he was writing to the church in Ephesus, but his focus in writing to it was not specifically to them. Paul's letters were actually circulated through a lot of the different churches that had been established. Specifically, we see in the book of Galatians, he says, share this, bu this book, that I, or this epistle, that letter that I've written to you with the Laodiceans. They were another church that was close nearby. So Paul, when he's writing these, he wasn't specifically just thinking about the church that it was being addressed to. He was thinking about the body of Christ in general. And so when he says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's holy people. Is that you? Yes. So this, what we're about to talk about this morning, is not talking about some ancient 2,000-year-old church. He's speaking to us. And he says, may God, God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, pretty much every epistle in the New Testament starts and ends this way. May God give you grace. May God give you peace. In one, with the communion or the union of the Holy Spirit. These often get treated as, oh, they're just standard greetings. Um, in the time that this was written, this is not a standard greeting. And I don't believe for a moment that Paul wasted words. And actually, he filled his letters with intentional words that are used in specific ways addressed to the group that he's uh, referencing. And so when God is saying, may he give you through Jesus grace and peace, 
Paul is not just saying this as a random greeting. This is Paul's mission and Paul's heart on display. The reason why he starts with grace and peace and ends with grace and peace is because Paul is about grace and peace. And you want to know something else? God is about grace and peace. And nothing is there by accident. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul told Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives and it corrects us and when we are wrong, it teaches us what to, as to do right. And so Paul tells us that all scripture has a purpose. Now, all scripture is not equally relevant at every moment, but every part of scripture is inspired. And Paul, he doesn't waste any time. So if we consider verse one and two, his greeting, he all of a sudden pulls out the guns and goes full blazing in verse three. He says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And so I don't think you can start any better than that. He's like, Jed, let's just get this out of way. The way God has blessed you with everything heaven has to offer because of Christ, because you have been united with him. And whether you feel like you've been blessed or not, we need to take on the heavenly perspective which heaven has come to your doorstep and poured it into your life. And so Paul just comes out blazing. And he says, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before the world. That was before anyone had ever sinned before you had ever been thought of before you had ever made your biggest mistake up until this point it was all looked at and addressed before the world was even created it says that he sees the end from the beginning god is not surprised at what we do he's already seen it and done something about it called the blood of jesus and so even before the world was created, God was thinking about you. And it says he loved us. He chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You know, a lot of people use holiness as like an objective. I need to try and be as good as possible and humble as possible and pious as possible and, and go through all these things so that I may be holy Holiness is not an objective, it's a statement. Jesus said, be ye holy as I am holy. He didn't say, try and be holy as I'm striving to be holy. He said, be it. Do you know what holy means? It means consecrated and set apart for his use. When you stepped in to Jesus, he consecrated you. What does that mean? He cleaned the vessel. He made it fit for his use. Now, whether you are used or not, that's up to you. As John was saying in his testimony this morning, he makes himself available. God uses willing people. And so even before the world was created, God saw you holy and without fault in his eyes. 
It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So this is his plan. He said, this is what I want to do, and it makes me happy to do it. Some people treat it as though God begrudgingly did what he had to do. Oh, because humanity screwed up in the garden, I've got to go down and fix it. Uh, now I've got to sacrifice my only son because they screwed it up so bad. No, he says, I wanted to do it. It gave him pleasure to do it because he loved you and he chose you. I do things for my kids all the time because I love them. And sometimes I have to overlook their actions. But it doesn't change how I love them. So verse 6 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. And he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. You've been caught in the rain of his kindness. It's been storming ever since the day you were born. His kindness just pours and pours and pours out buckets. But not even that. He says his wisdom falls upon you daily. His understanding falls upon you daily. And it says God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Oh, but you never know what God's going to do. Or we might as well pull out 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. You just can't know what God... Well, keep reading. <laughs> the very next verse says, But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. And so here he's saying, I have revealed the mysterious plan. You don't have to be in the dark about what God is wanting to do in your life. You don't have to be in the dark about what God is wanting to do on this earth. You don't have to be in the dark of what God's wanting to do in the lives of those around you. He has revealed them to you by his spirit because of his own good pleasure. And it says, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. <laughs> if that doesn't excite you, you need to check yourself. We have received an inheritance from God. If Bill Gates was your uncle and he kicked the bucket yesterday and you found out that you were the sole inheritor of his fortunes, what would you be doing? You've now got a hundred billion plus dollars at your disposal? Okay, now let's put this in an even greater context. The God of all creation who created the entire universe went to the cross and died. When do wills get executed? after the death of the executor. So think about it. 
if we would do a little dance if we found out Bill Gates was leaving us his money, how much more if we find out that God has left us everything? We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. That's just awesome, and it just continues to be awesome after that. We get the two Pauline prayers. We get some chapters on, uh, we get marriage, we get ministry, we get being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians is just so packed. But when I came to this chapter that day, I came there for something specific. And I realized after making it down this far to verse 11, that in the New Living Translation, it's missing. And so if we go back to verse, chapter, verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. And I realized something very po- important was missing from that verse. And if we look to the New King James, we see what is actually there in the Greek. It says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. God has done something for you. As Pastor Robin mentioned last week when he was preaching, he said, everything changed from the cross to the resurrection. Everything about who you are and what you could do changed in those three days. And here Paul calls it, we have been accepted in the beloved. So that's what I want to preach on this morning. And I really like something that Charles Spurgeon said. He said about accepted in the beloved. He says, are there grander words in any language than these four? There seems to be a sacred poem in these words. And to my heart, there is more heavenly music in those four words than any oratorio I've ever heard. So obviously, there's something that's been packed into these four words, accepted in the beloved, that if we don't do a little digging, we may just miss Now, when we hear that we've been accepted in the beloved, it reminds me that something similar was said to Jesus. And if we go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw like the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And what happened next? It says, And suddenly... A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What did God say about Jesus? You are my beloved Son. Not just you're my Son. You're not just a Son I kind of (laughs) like. The one that I put up with because you can't return them. No, he said of Jesus that he was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. But do you know what Paul had just told us in Ephesians chapter 1? God feels the same way about you. Verse 4 said, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we find the same concept that God spoke over Jesus has been spoken over you. 
He loved you and chose you before the world began. And what he did for you gave him great pleasure. You know, we often like to look at Jesus and say, wow, you know, he did all these amazing things. But, you know, he was the son of God. Guess what? You've been adopted into the same family. So what does that make you? Sons and daughters of Almighty God. And the thing with adoption is you choose them. You pick them. They're not like natural kids that they show up and you're stuck with what you get. I, don't get me wrong, I love my kids. I just like to use them for humor because they bring lots of humor to us. But God looked down and said, I want you. Think about that. There's days when we feel unwanted and unvalued by everyone else around them. In that moment, God is saying, I want you. I chose you. You are my prized possession. Let's look at those same verses in the Passion Translation. It says this, For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the Anointed One, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Whenever you feel unloved, I want you to ask this question to yourself. How does God love Jesus? Does Jesus feel unloved today? Does Jesus feel alone today? Does Jesus lack anything today? but yet God loves you with the same love that he loves him. How can we ever be abandoned? How can we ever be out on the garbage heap? We've got the love of God. It reminds me of Jesus' final prayer. In John 17, 21, he says, I pray that they'll be one just as you and I are one. This is him talking to the Father about you. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you sent them. And I have given them the glory you gave me. So the glory that Jesus had has been given to you. The same stuff that he was working from on this earth is now in your pocket. He didn't take it with him to heaven. He left it here for you. And Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said, it's better for me to leave so that he can come back. Jesus said, it's better for him to come and live in you and empower you and fill you up to overflowing than for me to stay here physically. Jesus thought what you have right now is better than what he had. And so he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And I in them and you in me and may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. 
So he has made us accepted into the beloved. So I want to take a little bit of an exploration into those four words. And the first one we're going to look at, look at is the word accepted, which is the Greek word karutu, which comes from charis, which is the word for grace. And so when he says that you are accepted, the word karutu means to pursue with grace, to compass with favor, and to honor with blessings. That sounds a little bit different than accepted to me. That seems a little more like I've been encaptured. That sounds a little bit more like I've been surrounded. That sounds a little bit more like I've been overflowed. Accepted is a very lacking word to be used there because God every day is pursuing you with his grace. Stop running and let it overtake you. Every day he is surrounding you with favor. Stop fighting it and let it overflow you. Every day he's honoring you with blessing. Why don't you go ahead and open up the baskets of your life and let them fill up with the blessings of God and become overflowed. He says we have been accepted You know, this word is actually only used twice in the Bible. And the other time occurs when the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and he says this, Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you and you are blessed among women. What did he say? You have been overflowed. We have pursued you this day, Mary. You are the one that has been chosen to bear Jesus. Guess what? You have been the ones chosen to bear Jesus. You have received him into your life. You walk in the same blessings and the overflow and the encircling of favor that he did. Hallelujah. Now, if you can stand a little Greek lesson, there's more in this word than even that. In the word karutu, Greek words can appear in seven different tenses because their language is much deeper than ours. What do we have? We have three. We have past, we have present, and we have future. But in the Greek, this word appears in the aortis tense, or aorist tense, sorry. And it is without, without regard for the past, without regard for the present, and it's without regard for the future. So when God looks down at you and says that you are, he has pursued you with his grace and encircled you or encompassed you with his favor and has honored you with his blessings, he doesn't care what your past looks like. He doesn't look, care about how scary your present may look, and he's not taking into consideration your future because he's already got a better one planned for you. God doesn't see things the way we see things. We often look at where we are right now and say, well, when I get there, things will be better. When God looks down, he sees you there. And he's waiting for you to start walking like you're there before you get there because you are there. (laughs) You know, there's there's a movie, Men in Black 3, and there's a character that I find funny that he sees everything that could happen all at the same time. And so his timelines get all screwed up. Well, that's kind of like God. He sees everything that could happen, everything that will happen, but he doesn't get the timeline screwed up. He knows exactly what's going to happen, and you'd better walk with him, and you'll find yourself right where you need to be. 
Now this word goes even a little deeper. In Greek words, we have a voice that's associated with each word. And the voice in this one, karutu, is an active voice which represents the subject as the doer or the performer of the action. So it says, he has made us accepted in the beloved. So it has nothing to do with anything you have done. He is the active voice in this sentence. He is the one that is performing these things. He's the one that pursues you with grace. He's the one that encircles you with his favor. He's the one that honors you with his blessings. We need to let go of our own works and the things that we can obtain on our own because he's got way better. And each word has a mood attached to it. I'm telling you, it's just so much deeper than our English language. Each, this, the mood in this word is indicative, which means it's just a simple statement of fact. It's not up for discussion. When he said, I'm pursuing you with my grace, I'm encircling you with my favor, and I'm honoring you with, your bl- with my blessings, that's the end of it. No ifs, ands, buts, discussions needed. This is how it is. Accept it and move on. And so I find that accepted is just a very lacking word there. I have been captured by Almighty God. Woo! Stop trying to escape. (laughs) He has pursued us with His grace. He's encompassed us with his favor. He has honored us with his blessings. He has made us accepted in the beloved. A little more depth there when you have that understanding of what he meant. The other word we need to focus on there is the word that he's called us, his beloved. You know, this, having a revelation of that word will change your perspective. Just look at what it did to the Apostle John. He uses this word more than any other writer in the New Testament. And we know that he had a revelation of it because when he wrote his gospel, he kept calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) And it seems okay when you're reading and you're like, but then you realize, oh wait, he's talking about himself. When you get a revelation of how much God loves you, it begins to change how you see yourself and how you talk about yourself. How dare you disparage yourself when you understand how amazing God's love is being poured out towards you even this moment. But the word beloved is the Greek word agapeo, and it means to welcome, to entertain, and to be fond of, to love dearly, to be well-pleased, to be contented at or with. Now, that definition is pretty good, but if you think about it, definitions don't really mean that much unless you know how they're supposed to be applied. Think of it this way. By definition, a tomato is a fruit, but knowledge and understanding tells you you don't put it in a fruit salad, right? So understanding the definition is one thing. Learning how to apply is another. And you have to understand that agapeo is the verb of agape, which is the noun 
a person, place, or a thing. And the thing that agape is, is love. Not just any kind of love. In 1 John, it says that God is agape. He is this. This is this at work. When he says you are his beloved, what he's saying is everything that I am is now working on your behalf. It's his love in action. Now, our idea of love is so limited in English. You know, I was thinking just, Bennett's been liking to play this game. We were even playing it on the way in this morning. He calls it the yes game. And he asks you a question, and you're not allowed to say yes, which is really easy for me. I'll just say it in a different way that he can't comprehend. And he doesn't like it. He gets a little frustrated. But he asked me the question a few weeks ago. He's like, do you like coffee? And I said, no. He said, but you drink it every morning. I said, I don't like coffee, Bennett. I love coffee. (laughs) Now, when I say that I love coffee and I love my wife, those are two very different things. Hopefully. (laughs) And when I say that I love my kids, that's a different thing than when I say that I love my wife. There's a different kind of love for different applications. There's an eros love. There's a passionate love for my wife. But there's also a phileos love involved there, a friendship love that we've, got, we've grown over the last 10 years. When we're talking about agape being love, we need to understand what kind of love is God talking about. And the word agape is actually a sacrificial love without regard to what they will receive in return. Now, when God said in John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus," it was this word here. It was agape at work. God had so much agape noun in him that it couldn't help him but agape verb and send Jesus. And it was a sacrificial love. He was giving up Jesus because he saw that we had a need, but he wasn't considering what his benefits were. Though there was great benefits. It says that once you put a seed in the ground and it dies, it produces many. And just like Jesus was planted in the ground, he has now received many sons and daughters back unto him. But on God's end, he didn't care about what he was, would receive back. He only looked at, how do I help you? That's the love that's at work. It looked at a need, and it fulfilled the need. The agape of God and the agapeo of God have not stopped working. When God sees a need in your life, he supplies the need because you have been accepted into his love at work. Hallelujah. I like, though, this goes a little deeper. In the Thayer's Greek lexicon, how you use a word is very important. And in you've been accepted in the beloved is an accusatory uh, phrase. 
meaning it's telling you what he has done and what he feels about you. And when it's accusatory, this is what it means. It means to take pleasure in a thing, to prize it above other things, and to be unwilling to abandon it or do without it. So when he says that you have been accepted into the beloved, what he's telling you is that I will never let you go. I am unwilling to live another second without you. I will never abandon you. If we look at another verse that he used there, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There is no point in God's mind where he will ever accept a future that doesn't involve you. Hallelujah. I love what 1 John 3 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Hallelujah. So if we want to see God's agape at work, I think there's no better chapter than to describe this than Luke chapter 15. It starts like this in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. I think that's agape at work in itself. This is a, Jesus is sacrificing his social standing. By associating with the tax collectors and sinners, it means that he is not going to be accepted above, above in the upper levels of society. So there's that aspect of it. But then Jesus goes on to tell this story. And he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And the answer to that question is, no rational person will do that. They will secure the 99 and accept the loss of the one. Because to leave the 99 exposed will make you suffer possibly more loss. But the thing is, God sees every one of the hundred the same way. If this one of the hundred's gone, I'll go for them. If this one of the hundred gets taken, I'll go for them. So God does not think in the same terms that humanity does. That's an acceptable loss. When it comes to you, there is no acceptable loss in God's eyes. And it says, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. No, he'd probably be like, most people would be like, let's just get these guys in the barn and go to sleep. I had to wander all over the woods trying to find this stupid sheep that couldn't follow the rest of them. God's thinking is different than ours. He says, or, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Well, now she's having to expend time and resources to find the one that is lost. God has no issue expending time and resources on you, his children. He says, and when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and, and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Now, 
I had some change up on a counter the other day that mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> and yesterday, we're sitting on the couch. It's just me, and, me, Bennett, and Harrison. And Bennett, he's just sitting there in his underwear, which happens a lot. <laughs> and he says, guess what I've got in my underwear? And I'm like, I don't want to know, Bennett. I don't even want to know. And he reaches in and pulls out my change. My change was lost. And now it's found. I did not call you guys to come for a party. God's thinking is a little different than ours. Dirty money. I said, I don't want it back, Bennett. It's yours. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and we know where this is. This is the story of the prodigal son, which really, it's not about the prodigal son. The word prodigal means lavish. One who is willing to expend resources. If you want to call someone prodigal, this is the story of the prodigal father who was willing to expend resources and do whatever he wanted. Because you know what the son really said? I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And so the father did it. And the son left. He spent it all. He ends up a slave. He's feeding pigs, which is the lowest of the low as a Jew could get. The pigs are eating better than him. And it says in verse 17, he finally came to his senses and he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and, earth, uh, and you and I'm no longer to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Now, I want to let you know that the son really wasn't repentant. He was manipulative. He wasn't thinking about how he had wronged his father here. He was thinking of how I can solve my hunger issue. And so some people in religion like to play this, that if you want God to look on you favorably, you need to come to him with repentance. I believe in repentance. But God doesn't factor that in. His lavish love is already being poured out on you no matter what state you're in. The son wasn't coming to him with a heartfelt repentance. He was wanting to get his belly filled. And it says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and he filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned. And he goes into his spiel. But the father said to the servants, Quick, he cuts him off. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. We must kill the calf that's been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. And so the party began. So Jesus, the Father, whenever you take one step away, as soon as you turn back, do you know what they're doing? They're right there. As soon as the sun started coming up onto the property, who came running? The father. Because that's the type of love he has. The son said, I wish you were dead. Give me half and left. And the father still came running. 
how much more does God still think of you? How much more has he pursued you with his grace, compassed you with his favor, honored you with his blessing, and let his love be an action in your life? Well, we know the older brother came out and he was angry. And religion has a lot of older brothers. And it doesn't matter what they think, the only opinion that matters is the father's. Because the father said, all these the, uh, said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. The, son, the angry son was upset that the father hadn't thrown a party, but there was a party there that could have been had every day. And he said, we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. What does this mean for you today? God wants to dive right into your situation right now and work with you. Head first, without consideration of the results, on his end. He's considering your end. And he wants to dive right in. Now, if we think about this, we often look at these and be like, well, yes, if I'm, if I'm in a bad spot, God will come down and help me. How much, what if you're in a good spot? God's just as willing to jump right in and work with you where you are right now. He's not a bad time God. He's an all the time God. And no matter how far off course you feel you are, he's already left the 99 to lead you back. And what he wants you to know, and the reason why I went to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 that day, is because God kept saying to me these same word, you are my beloved. Do you want to know how to grow in your awareness of being his beloved? I think the key is right there in the word. Allow yourself to be loved. How do we do that? I think that's found in the very definition of the word beloved. Welcome it entertain it be fond of it love it dearly allow yourself to be loved let down the walls and say yes father you've got good for me you're here to help me you're here to lead me this morning i want you to be remember in remembrance that you are accepted in the beloved Maybe you're here this morning and you've never stepped into the kingdom of God and become accepted in the beloved. Don't wait another moment. Maybe you're watching us this morning via the internet and you haven't made God the Lord of your life. Don't wait another moment. Church, let's pray right now with them. Father, I receive Jesus. I thank you for the love you've given. I receive it right now. I allow it to wash over me. And I thank you that I am now accepted into your beloved. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that for the first time this morning, I would love for you to get in contact with us. We have some resources we'd like to get into your hands. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church and area. But guys, I want you to remember that God loves you as you are right now, and you are accepted by him. Let's have some good coffee.